Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Let me begin this morning with a question. On a scale of one to 10, how good would you say you are when it comes to relationships with other people? I mean, let's say 10 means you're a relational guru, like a master of relationships. And one means you're the worst, like you'd rather not be around people at all. And when you are around other people, you're super uncomfortable. Like, where do you fall on that scale? I think most people think they're a little better than they really are. And if other people have a problem with them, it must be that other person's fault, clearly. You know, they view themselves as pretty good at relationships until they actually have to deal with other people. You know, sometimes we kind of form this vision in our minds that the people who really matter tend to be very agreeable with my way of seeing things. They have a proper way of viewing the world, amazing taste in movies and music, and they never get on my nerves. But that's not reality, is it? I mean, real people frustrate me. They annoy me. They push my buttons. They know all of my pet peeves. The author Charles Bukowski was once asked if he hated people. And he said, I don't hate people. I just feel better when they aren't around. Most of us would probably say we're all for community. We love the idea of spending our lives surrounded by others, serving others, being open and vulnerable and navigating this world in relationships but then we talk to someone with a different political persuasion or someone with the opposite personality type or someone in our house who chews their food with their mouth wide open or hangs the toilet paper so it goes under instead of over, which of course is a sin. You know, in theory, people in relationships are great and simple, but in reality, it's a different story. And especially when we're sheltered and stuck with people in houses for months at a time with no way out. Now, Christians, we have another problem when it comes to relationships. We say, I love God. He's worthy of praise and honor and glory. He's great, wonderful, and gracious. But the little creatures he's made, yeah, I'm not so sure about them. Is that a problem? Oh, yeah, it's a huge problem. And here's why. Jesus comes along and someone asks him what the most important commandment is. Like, what's the core of everything taught in the law and the prophets? And Jesus replies by saying this in Matthew 22, 37 to 38. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now that totally made sense to them. This is what the Jewish people called the Shema. The Shema was a prayer that Jewish people would pray every morning and every night. And so this answer here made sense. But, but, Jesus then has the audacity to add a second part to this legendary creed. And he says in Matthew 22, 39 to 40, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now that was revolutionary and provocative. Jesus says there's more to it. It's not just about loving God, but you also have to love your neighbor. 
You have to love the people around you. You have to love everyone close to you. He's pointing out that these two commandments are completely connected. You can't have one without having the other. One can't be true without the other. And so he points out a powerful shift in perspective. If you love God, then you will love people. And that's the truth we want to talk about today. Your relationships reveal what you believe. I'll say it again. Your relationships reveal what you really believe. It's easy to say we love God and his kingdom. It's easy to have fantasies of goodness and service in our minds. But our real relationships with others, they reveal what's in our hearts. They reveal our values. They reveal our issues. And this is vital for us to wrestle with because if love is our basic and core command, then lovelessness is the core sin. All of human evil and darkness comes back to lovelessness. And so we want to explore the ways lovelessness creeps into our lives. And we're going to do this today by looking at the two forms it takes. I mean, the first form is this. Sometimes I do things or say things that I shouldn't. And the second form is sometimes I don't do or say things that I should. Now to help us see those two, what we're going to do is go back to the original stay-at-home order, the original shelter-in-place, the original quarantine couple. All right, we're going to look at Adam and Eve, alone with God, sheltered in their garden. You know, you think you have it bad? Adam and Eve were sheltered in place, and they didn't even have DoorDash, okay? So let's go back to Genesis 3, 1 to 6. Now the serpent said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You, you will not certainly, certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So here we see Adam and Eve do something they shouldn't do. This is the first form of lovelessness. And we could call this colliding, colliding. It starts with this, I have a will, which means I want what I want. In their relationship with God, God placed a simple rule against eating from this tree. But Adam and Eve wanted what they wanted, and so they did what was necessary to get what they wanted. And the problem in our human relationships is that you also have a will. You have things you want, and oftentimes what you want is not what I want, which causes tension and pressure, and that can result in explosion and colliding. When I was in junior high, my friends and I loved to play the board game Risk. And if you know anything about the game, the strategy for winning is to convince all the other players that you're not nearly as strong as you truly are and that they should attack the other players and just leave you alone. And throughout the game, you make alliances with other players, which inevitably will be broken. And if you're good, you get stronger and stronger and eventually wipe everyone else out. Well, I had two older brothers who were masters at the game of Risk, and I had had my butt whooped so many times by them that I pretty much learned all the ways to win. And being a fairly competitive young lad, I ruthlessly took it out on my friends. I mean, time and time again, the only time I remember losing to them 
was when five other guys agreed before the game started to eliminate me first and then play each other. And of course, I even spun that one. I walked away from the board proudly exclaiming, ha, how awesome. This just proves that I am five times better than every single one of you. Did I say I was a bit competitive? Anyway, one day after school, I was playing with a certain friend who was also competitive like me. And knowing he had been outmaneuvered, he became so angry, he flipped the entire board upside down and stormed out of the house. Well, that led to a pact by the rest of us never to play with him again. In Facebook terms, we unfriended him. And not just from risk, but from being a part of our little circle of friends. And this led to fights after school at the bus stop and eventually the deterioration of our entire friendship. I wasn't a Christian at the time, so we went from friends to rivals, all over a game of risk. Now, years later, after I came to Christ, I actually looked up the guy's number. We were both adults by that time, and I called him up and asked for his forgiveness. He was floored by that, but I was still carrying the guilt from an unreconciled relationship. Now, how did that mess happen? Well, it's simple. I had a will and he had a will. I wanted something, and someone else wanted something different. And our emotions got worked up and eventually pff, exploded. See, this is what happens in our relationships. We constantly bump up against the will of others, and it's different than ours. They disagree with us. They approach things in a different way. And over time, internally, our emotions get built up, and things get pressurized, and even more so in a time like now where we're stuck at home. Right? Our kids are pounding on the door during Zoom calls. Our roommates never wash the dishes. And someone keeps hanging the toilet paper upside down. Well, at some point, the pressure builds up too much. And we spew on those around us. We spew anger, mean words, passive aggressiveness. We spew looks. We spew daggers. We say or do things we shouldn't. In short, we collide. We collide. Now, what you have to do is to learn healthy ways of releasing the pressure slowly, examining why there's pressure in the first place. Imagine if we approach these moments with a different perspective. I mean, remember, relationships reveal what we really believe, what is deep in our hearts. So imagine if we use these moments of pressure and tension as a tool to help reveal what's inside of us. Like, what if instead of spewing, we stopped and took a walk? What if we responded with a thoughtful, measured response instead of just reacting in the moment? What if we allow the pressure to release slowly and we ask ourselves, why did that just trigger me? What if we do this with God? What if we do life with God and ask God, God, would you reveal what's happening in me internally right now? I mean, what if we simply ask questions like, why am I angry? Why is that so annoying to me? Why can't I see things their way? You know, maybe God has given you these relationships to help reveal your heart. And maybe he wants to reveal the areas where he wants to transform you and grow you. I mean, let's be honest here. Maybe he wants to show you that when we talk about, I love you, but you're driving me crazy. Maybe you're the one that is driving someone crazy. Now, let me just say this. Loving your neighbor begins at home. And this can often be the toughest place to practice this principle. Why? Because those are the people you're around all the time and the ones you can often take for granted. 
So with our spouse, our kids, our roommates, our siblings, we need to learn to drop our defensiveness, our need to have the last word or always be right. Over the past five months, I've had a number of conversations with parents of young children and they're struggling big time. I mean, kids are struggling, not having school or camps or being around their friends. Teenagers are struggling because socialization is a key component in their developmental process. And so the pressure at home is building up to an all-time high. And parents feel like they need a sanity break. Now, for Wendy and me, it's just us at home. Our kids are grown and out of the house. So we're not facing this issue. But I know many of you are. So I decided to bring in a subject matter expert here. My good friend Jason Arnold, our associate pastor, he and his wife Stephanie have three young children at home. And so they're right in the thick of it at this point. And I've asked him to share some of the unique challenges they're facing, especially as it relates to colliding in the home. Hey, everyone. So my first reaction when Pastor Brian asked me to talk on this was really just to say, like, we're doing fine. We're, we're not really dealing with any of those issues. Our, our family's doing great. I, I am a pastor after all. Uh, but apparently I'm not fooling anyone since Pastor Brian seems to think I'm a subject matter expert when it comes to colliding at home. I'm not really sure how to take that. But anyways, running and hiding really isn't going to help anyone. And if we're honest, quarantine parenting really is tough. I mean, we have five distinct individuals with five unique personalities together 24 hours a day. And we're wrestling with our own feelings of isolation and worry. But you add to that like guilt for not letting our kids do kid things like amusement parks or sleepovers or parties or even being able to see their friends at church. And you add on to that like frustration from being together nonstop. I think someone decides not to flush the toilet at least once a week in our house. And bedrooms are starting to grow things in the corners. It's just gross. Our, our house is getting beat up more than ever. And then with the uncertainty of future and school, I mean, there's just a lot of emotions for everyone in the family. And most days are just a single word away from blowing up. And honestly, like some days it does. And it's this weird dichotomy. Both Stephanie and I aren't really feeling the boredom side of quarantine that we hear uh, from a lot of people. Stephanie has grad school and we both have work filling up our days, but the kids, I mean, they're struggling. So <laughs> they got this box of goodies in the mail from their grandma in Pittsburgh and each kid got a tape roller for crafting. Well, about a day goes by and Grayson's, our youngest, it's just gone. All the tape is used up. And we come to find out that in his boredom, he thought it would be fun and a good idea to use this tape roller, the whole thing on his bed, on his dresser, and really on the walls all over the house. And so we spent the next few hours searching for invisible sticky spots. I mean, tears were involved. And I'm fully anticipating finding these tape spots for years. Now, I didn't really respond well in that. Uh, it wasn't terrible, but it could have gone a lot better. I reacted. But especially now, I know my kids are watching and they're learning more than ever, and they're taking their cues from Stephanie and I. And it's tough, I know, but taking a moment, doing those moments with God, letting God into those situations and responding rather than reacting is going to help get us through this season as a family. And it's going it's to help you get through this season as, as your family. And your family is going to be stronger 
uh, for it. I'm sure those of you with kids at home can relate to that. So again, see if you can use these moments of pressure and tension as a tool to help reveal what's inside of you. Allow the pressure to release slowly and invite God into the situation. God, would you reveal what's happening in me internally right now? Like, why am I angry? Why is that so annoying to me? Let God help you overcome the sin of lovelessness known as colliding. Now, the other sin of lovelessness is what we could call hiding. So there's colliding and then there's hiding. When we think of sin, we often think of sin as doing something we shouldn't do. Those are called sins of commission. But there's also the failure to do what we should do, sins of omission. And many theologians argue that passivity, sitting back and not doing what we should do, those sins can often be far worse than sins of commission. Let's go back to Genesis 3, 8 to 10. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. So instead of facing the discomfort and the vulnerability of being real with God, Adam and Eve hid. They were afraid of risking, afraid of the pain, afraid of the conversation, afraid of stepping out and exposing themselves. See, here's the deal. Relationships require risk and courage and discomfort. And if you're avoiding a spouse or a confrontation or a difficult discussion, you could be causing irreparable damage all by simply hiding and not doing anything. And that can be fairly common in our day. In fact, there's a big market for keeping us from facing discomfort. We're surrounded by devices that help us stay comfortable, cozy, numb. We have Netflix, comfort food, noise-canceling headphones, YouTube videos. I mean, these days, we don't even have to abandon our comfortable sweatpants. I can wear my sandals with socks during a Zoom call without being judged. And we can just turn on our favorite TV shows and avoid reality. Whether it's a Hallmark movie or a 30-minute sitcom, most shows are entertaining and comfortable, right? Relationships are easy and predictable. You know the girl's going to get the guy in the end. The good guy will most likely win. The villain will be killed or locked up. The mean, ornery characters are going to soften a bit. Conflicts will be resolved. So we can just kick back and enjoy other people's character quirks, mistakes, and annoyances from a safe distance. And those relationships, they're kind of like the ones in our heads. You know, they all work out. They require no risk or pain or conflict or vulnerability. It's warm and comfy. And if we're not careful, we can end up hiding from the people and the things that matter most to us. We can avoid the potential pain and discomfort that comes from real relationships and live in our little fantasy land. Renee Brown, whose life work revolves around vulnerability and relationships, once said this, to love someone fiercely, to believe in something with your whole heart, to celebrate a fleeting moment in time, to fully engage in a life that doesn't come with guarantees. These are risks that involve vulnerability and often pain. But I'm learning that recognizing and leaning into the discomfort of vulnerability teaches us how to live with joy, gratitude, and grace. Isn't that good? Real relationships require risk. They require discomfort. 
Adam and Eve were naked and scared to be their full selves. You know, it's interesting to me that we've all had to get used to wearing a mask everywhere we go. And now it's normal for us to walk through the grocery store, not knowing if others are smiling or smirking, or maybe they're laughing at me in my socks and sandals. But for many of us, we've been wearing wearing masks like for years, right? We hide behind niceties and formalities and we pretend we are something that we're not. We hide our true selves from others. Our relationships reveal what we really believe, but conversely, we need to reveal who we really are in our relationships. But it's often uncomfortable. I mean, if we open up to someone, they could reject us. If we tell someone how we feel, they could ignore us. If we confront someone, it could create tension. But folks, the most noble things in life are never convenient or comfortable. Love, marriage, parenting, justice. We inconvenience ourselves for what we love. So here's the question. What is God calling you to say or do in your relationships? Right, are you avoiding it? Are you hiding from it? A few years ago, a nurse from Australia who had cared for numerous people on their deathbeds wrote a blog detailing the five most common regrets people share before they die. And here's number three. I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. What people said on their deathbed was this, I wish I'd had the courage to express what I'm really feeling, not hiding, having the courage to risk. I mean, some of you listening, you've lost a loved one and you've thought to yourself, man, I wish I just had one more chance to say this or that. I wish I'd had one more chance to watch a sunset with them or or take a trip to a national park or apologize or, or just give a long hug. So many of us, end up numbing, hiding, and staying comfortable instead of saying and doing the things we should. We don't reach out to those in our neighborhood. We don't call that person and apologize. We don't engage in uncomfortable conversations. This next week, what if you wrote a letter of appreciation to someone who needs to hear it? What if you took your child out for an ice cream day and you just listened to him or her intently? What if you called a parent and told them that you love them? This is one of the many reasons small groups are so important at our church. We need a person or a few people with whom we can peel off our masks and just be our true selves. I'm not saying pull off your literal mask. I'm talking about your figurative mask. You know what I'm talking about. Now, for others of us, we've been burned in the past. We showed our true selves to someone and they betrayed us. They cheated on us or gossiped about us or gave up on us. And maybe you lost someone you love or you haven't been able to find a significant other or a group of friends. Maybe you wonder if you're unlovable or even worthy of being yourself to others. Maybe you're ready to throw in the towel. And now you're faced with a choice. Henry Nouwen wrote this. Every time you experience the pain of rejection, absence, or death, you are faced with a choice. You can become bitter and decide not to love again, or you can stand straight in your pain and let the soil on which you stand become richer and more able to give life to new seeds. Hmm. So are you willing to try again, to allow something new to grow? Are you willing to come out of hiding? Imagine if in our moments of comfort and numbing, we instead use that time to allow God to reveal what's really in our hearts. God, what am I hiding from you? Why am I staying scared? What am I running from? 
Maybe God wants to reveal to you the baggage you're carrying. Maybe he wants you to examine your shame and guilt and wounds. Maybe he wants to expose your fears and anxieties. Maybe he wants you to risk revealing yourself because he sees the real you and he knows that the real you is nothing to be ashamed of. Because here's the twist. Relationships reveal what we really believe and God's relationship with us reveals what he really believes about us. Over and over again, the Bible reveals that God doesn't see you as a mistake, deserving to be hidden. He sees you as a beloved child created in his image. He says, why are you hiding? Step into the light. You're wonderful, beautiful, loved. You are someone worth risking and becoming uncomfortable for. You are someone worth dying for. That's the truth about you. You see, we can love God because he first loved us. He sacrificed his comfort for us. He paid the price in full for our flaws and imperfections, our sins of colliding and our sins of hiding. And now we are free to pass on this love to others. Real people are broken, imperfect, and yet beloved creations of God. And we can love them. We can love our neighbor, even if they hang the toilet paper in their own way. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the incredible love you have for us. And I pray that we would recognize that your love for us and our love for you is directly tied to your love for other people and our love for them. So God, I pray that when we collide with others, we would allow you to enter into the equation and we would ask questions like, why am I so worked up? What's going on in my heart? God, would you reveal the truth about me and about the other person and help me to respond in a thoughtful, faith-filled, measured way in love? And God, when we are tempted to hide and just avoid people and run away from situations. There's something going on inside of us. And I pray in those moments, again, we would invite you to speak to us. What are we afraid of? Why aren't we willing to confront? God, would you help us to overcome the sins of colliding and hiding and to begin to love our neighbors as ourselves? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.